As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrow and Lisa Abramowitz. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, geopolitics, finance, and investment. Subscribe to Bloomberg Surveillance On Demand on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And always on Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. This is a joy. Yesterday was humbling and humility for everyone. No question about except. that. In, in today, well, except, but today a recalibration here of where we go in our optimism on the American experiment. A few have been right. Nobody like Neil Dutta, head of economics at Renaissance Macro. Over the last 18 months, an absolute tour de force that America economic might will prevail. This morning, David Rosenberg writes of a tepid nominal GDP. At the same time, the tech analyst Dan Ives at Wedbush and Joel Fishbein at Truist go out two and three years on technical excellence of the Magnificent Seven. Can our technology lead continue the Dutta optimism on the American economy? Uh, that's a tough question, uh, Tom. I mean, I hope so. I mean, productivity is notoriously difficult to forecast, but if productivity is picking up, which it has been over the last couple of quarters, then um, it raises the uh, you know, the capacity for the economy to grow without stoking inflation, and that takes a lot of pressure off the Fed. The last few months, you've been absolutely locked in. You seem to have some kind of visibility on what's happening here that some other people are lacking. What's helping you? What's the framework that you're using to see things a little bit more clearly over the last few months? Well, I mean, you had mentioned earlier that, you know, Powell uh, sounded some sounded different a, f- a couple of weeks ago. I mean, but, um, you know, to me, the die has been cast for this for, for a little bit of time now. I mean, and that's because inflation is slowing more rapidly than they expect. I mean, I think the Fed is following essentially a rules-based framework where they're taking uh, changes in inflation and the unemployment rate and translating that into expectations around the federal funds rate. And that's basically what's happening. That's what they did yesterday. And so, um, you know, core inflation uh, in November is likely to come in barely one-tenth of one percent month over month. And um, that means that the momentum going into uh, 2024 is quite weak. And so if they're revising down inflation in December, which they did, and then a few months later, they're going to be revising down inflation again in March, what do you expect expect them to do? Um, What I would push back on, John, is this notion that this is, I mean, you know, you see all this already. Oh, the 10 years broken below 4%. That means a recession is happening. No, that's not what this is about. Um, This is about uh, inflation coming in better. Uh, and the Fed adjusting as a result. And that's ultimately a good thing. Um, And, uh, you know, I think it's going to, um, you know, give the economy a chance to continue uh, growing. And uh, I think that's 
that's what's likely. We'll get to your outlook on growth in just a moment. Policymakers like to use the word if, just to hedge themselves. If this continues, we might do this. You don't think that if is that large. You think this no. is already kind of baked in, these rate cuts are coming. Well, I don't know that it'll be six, um, because to me, six feels like, um, you know, if there's a recession, six wouldn't be enough. But if the economy is growing, six feels like too many, frankly. But um, I, do, I don't think it's much of an if about around inflation. I mean, Powell talked earlier this year about a disinflationary process, and I think that was a little bit premature to talk about it. But now it really does feel like a meaningful disinflationary process is underway. And we have uh, continued uh, moderation in housing rental inflation coming. Um, you know, the, the terminal has an article today about Manhattan rents going down year over year. We also know that used car prices will continue to de deflate over the next uh, several months. Um, and that was actually it popped in November. So um, and between that and, you know, core goods, excluding cars, I mean, there's continued downside there as well. So um, I do. Th and the labor markets are basically normalized. I mean, they're they're back into balance. So I think you kind of go down the line. Um, and, you know, to me, it suggests that we're going to see continued disinflation um, over the next several quarters. Jay Powell did not want to really dig into the question around financial conditions and the easing of which uh, we've seen over the past couple of weeks. But I'd love you to weigh in on it. Do you have any concerns that the easing in financial conditions will actually push inflation in the other direction? Well, I think that's a reason to expect there to be a ceiling on how many cuts they'll end up doing. But I don't think that they're going to be upset about the uh, easing of financial conditions in and of themselves. I mean, if you think about the Fed's reaction function, right, it's labor markets, inflation, and then financial conditions. If labor markets are in balance and inflation is slowing, why would they be the markets are then reassessing the Fed's interest rate path. So why would they be upset about that? Well, you've been really good about tracking home builders, for example. If suddenly you start to see a reacceleration in the home space, right? If you start to see people uh, re-engaging with selling homes and being able to price up some of these homes because mortgage rates are lower, could that pose a problem, right? These are some of the questions that people have so at I a think time of still robust growth. So Powell yesterday talked about the seesaw thing, right? Like where we go from like one story, like no landing, soft landing, hard landing, back to soft landing. And I just feel like we need to get through this bout of disinflation first before we talk about what happens next. And um, <clears throat> I mean, could I make a case for things may reaccelerate and that could reignite inflation and then the Fed will have to come back and undo the cuts that they put in place in 2024. I mean, that's a plausible scenario. Um, you know, we're not going to have any multifamily construction really next year and that could you know, reignite inflation because there won't be enough housing supply. But um, I do think the Fed has to deal with the issues that are in front of them. And right now, the overwhelming issue is that inflation is slowing more rapidly than expected. And for a central bank that believes that neutral rates are two and a half percent, they're going to be more uh, cognizant and sensitive to the risk that they over tightened. And so I think that's mm -hmm. why they want to get the cuts away first. It's not about you know, I mean, what my reaction function is. It's about what their reaction function is, and that's what we're trying to get. I want to go quickly here. Uh, the Neil Dutta optimism is much like the Ed Yardeni optimism. He, on an equity call, has a huge stock market out to Dow 47,000, SPX uh, 6,000, you know, two, three years out. And he talks about the roaring 2020s. There was a roaring 20s 100-some years ago, and it didn't end well. Your optimism, how is it different from the effervescence, the exuberance of an unstable roaring 20s? 
Well, I would just say, I mean, if we do have a roaring um, period of, of economic activity, I mean, it does help that we we had a financial crisis in 2008. We already had the big one, um, and um, you know, we have I mean, guardrails up. And we have, well, we have the benefit of hindsight, right? I mean, um, you know, one of the ways you avoid a depression is by going through one the first time, and. Um, you know, so I think that that's, that's helpful. What do they say? Congratulations on a great quarter. Congratulations, Neil. Oh, thank you. Thank you, sir. Neil Dutta of Renaissance Macro. Elise Arsenvaugh is global investment strategist, J.P. Morgan Private Bank, and she has that wonderful image in her notes summing up the Fed, the ECB, the Bank of England, and 14 other central banks about investment strategy into 2024. Somebody's got to land the plane. After what we saw in the turbulence yesterday at 2 o'clock and in that press conference, recalibrate this morning. How are we going to land the plane given the instabilities of the last 15 hours? Look, I think there is a distinction between what's going on domestically in the United States and the position that that puts the Fed in to potentially cut in the first half of next year versus what we're seeing abroad in England and in the broader Euro region. Uh, you know, it's no surprise to us that both the BOE and the ECB stayed on hold. And we do think that the ECB is probably still the most obvious candidate to deliver the first cut simply in light of the economic weakness that you're seeing. This is a really interesting point. And it's frankly what I'm sniffing out from markets that are not reacting to this as I thought that they would. I would expect the euro to actually strengthen dramatically on the heels of this in response to uh, a more hawkish ECB than many people say. Are you just saying that you don't believe them? No, not necessarily. You know, I, I think the ECB has to continue to kind of hold this hawkish posture, especially given that wage growth hasn't necessarily rolled over in a commencing way in Europe. But given the economic slowdown and maybe nascent signs of some sort of economic like life coming back, I think the ECB has to talk tough, but will probably be the first to cut maybe as soon as the spring. This was the conversation we had yesterday before we went into Chairman Powell. If we got pushback, how credible would it be? Just feels like from the ECB, it doesn't feel as credible, maybe given what we already know about what's happening in the economy. Here's the market question. Elise, are you more bullish now than you were yesterday morning after what you heard from Powell? Sure. We were having a lot of conversations about this on our floor yesterday. I think what we learned from the Fed is that we have to start entertaining our bull case a little bit more. But we came into yesterday's decision on the front foot, and we've been you know, encouraging investors to add back to risk exposure. We have a relatively bullish view on the S&P 500 for the year ahead, and I think this just kind of underwrites our conviction in that call. What's the bull case? Bull case is S&P 500 ends next year above 5,000, but uh, we'll see. I think that would probably dictate the Fed cutting before the, the second half of the year. But right now, our base case pencils and cuts in the second half of the year, not yet the so first. So the banner's awesome boss says Fortress Diamond calls 5,000 SPX. Okay. Year end. No, not quite. That's but I would say, <laughs> isn't there a risk we could be there in January? based on what we're seeing playing Look, out at the moment. That was, that was exactly I, what I think thinking. January feels a little aggressive. We still have to see, you know, the earnings come through. We are making this call that the earnings recession is likely over and that we're going to see rolling earnings recoveries. Um, but let's get through the fourth quarter reporting season and then look beyond to 2024 results. That sounds like equal weight and not market cap weighted S&P. Is that right? 
We do have conviction in making sure that you have exposure to the other 493 names in the index beyond the Magnificent Seven, but we're constructive on the Magnificent Seven. I mean, these companies are projected to grow earnings north of 20% in 2024, and that is definitely an exposure that we're encouraging what, investors what's to What's your hold. conviction when everybody gets out of cash? What's going to happen? I want We've never been here. Six trillion in cash. We get under 5% money market fund. What happens? Well, I think you have to take into consideration that bonds are back on the table, right? That, to me, means that there is still a trade to step into some duration and not necessarily just plow into the equity market. I think some folks will remain a little reticent given where valuations are today, but given the you know improved free cash flow generation of S&P 500 companies relative to 10 years ago, we are comfortable with today's valuations. We just don't think that that's going to be what drives the upside into the, the next 12 months. Elise, it's good to see you in person. Thanks for coming in. Always. Elise Austin there of JP Morgan Private Bank following the ECB decision. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. These are absolutely extraordinary times. Let's get a European brief on this with Aberdeen and Sri Kachagavindian uh, joining us this morning. Sri, I, the divide here between the central banks, I believe I've never seen. Do you perceive that? Or how alone is Jay Powell versus Governor Bailey or what we're going to see from Christine Lagarde in a bit. I think what this really highlights is the differences across the economies and the different challenges that each of these central bankers are facing. So obviously we had the, a bit of a pivot yesterday from the Fed and that's really spilled over into rates markets across these different regions. However, as we've seen, the Bank of England does face a very different challenge. Um, inflation is less of an outlier than it used to be. It is coming down at a steady pace, but they still have some challenges. If you look at um, the core inflation and services inflation in particular, services is still running at 6.6% year on year. Mm. So that's still a, a problem there uh, for the Bank of England, which is trying to manage weaker GDP growth, uh, as well as a stickier inflation picture than compared to other regions. So hence, the cha- the, there's no change in guidance, no change in statement, and we still have a 6-3 vote split. And I think that's a key communication point right there, the fact that um, you know, we, we have that split. Given uh, that there is no statement of economic projections, let's create our own. Sri, if they did put out whether they thought that the economic growth was going to be better or worse than they previously expected, what direction do you think it would go? Well, I think what we've seen just in the recent uh, data, we had the October GDP, which was a disappointment there. And I think that will be something that they would definitely consider 
if we look at the moving averages across, if we look through that contraction that we saw uh, month on month for October, that was across the board for services, construction um, and uh, manufacturing. But if we smooth that out, it is we are looking at a flat three month on three month, but there's a possibility of a start of a technical recession. Um, and recession like what we're expecting is recession like conditions to persist throughout the first half of next year. So really, it's a difficult um, um, balancing act for the Bank of England. But we do think that they're more likely to hold on with this 5.25% um, and stay there uh, for a few more months yet. Timing is obviously quite fluid and will depend on inflation, how fast inflation decelerates. Um, but they might be one of the later central banks to, to cut if we compare with potentially ECB and, and um, the, the change in tone from the Fed. So how much does that benefit them in a sense, given the fact that we are seeing the pound strengthen, that this actually could be a disinflationary if they do diverge from the other central banks? Yes, I think the move in the in the sterling will help somewhat in terms of imported price impact. Um, but really, it comes down to this wage um, inflation that's that's really going to be key. Now, one good piece of news is that real wages are a bit stronger because inflation has come down a bit. Um, so that should help boost or at least support consumers to some extent. But nonetheless, the imbalances in the UK right. labour market are still there. They've improved, but they're still there. And that's going to create that bumpy last mile for the for the UK. Sri, so, so if we got a run rate in the United States of nominal GDP of 4%, anybody's guess, what is your guesstimate of nominal GDP for the Bank of England and for the ECB? What numbers are, what two, what are those two different numbers this morning? Um, well, we have seen, I think we're going to see a slowdown there in terms of GDP growth, particularly um, for for the euro area. I think the challenge there is that um, we've seen a much weaker inflation outlook than they've, they've actually projected. And I think that what, what we're projecting versus what's happening versus what the ECB are projecting, I think that challenge is what we're going to really see later on today from, from the ECB, whether they're, you know, how they address the fact that actual data has been weaker, both inflation um, uh, as well as the, the growth outlook is, is weakening. So I think that could be quite important in terms of what they say about the shift in timing. Obviously, the markets have pulled forward the timing for the first cut from the ECB, and we have as well. We've moved. We were looking more mid-year. Now we're looking for um, March, April, um, more likely April. So, you know, I think this is the kind of signalling that we need to be focusing on uh, in terms of what what messages are coming out of the ECB later today. Um, and again, going forward for the for the UK as well, it's going to be you know, that relative shift in, in data um, that the UK will be will be focusing on in the coming meetings. Hey, Sri, thank you. Sri, Culture Governor there of Aberdeen. Stephanie Roth had a very busy weekend scheduled. Cancel that. The chief economist at Wolf Research has to rewrite the view as she did uh, last night in a sharp post-Fed note. Let's go to your post-Fed note. What was the biggest change in that note after the drama of two o'clock yesterday? I think the biggest change is the, <clears throat> the Fed is less scared of stronger growth and they're now appreciating that inflation's right. come down. Like they, they took up their growth numbers, but inflation came down so much that they feel pretty good about the backdrop. Is this, said, so far, so good. Is this Fed still data dependent? 
they're data dependent, but they're more inflation dependent than, than growth dependent. It, I, I think they're recognizing that inflation can come down even if growth remains fairly strong. This to me was the biggest change, that basically this is not going to be contingent on some sort of de deceleration in the economy, that they are really <coughs> leading into the soft landing narrative. Do you have a more optimistic view that they can achieve a soft landing after yesterday uh, than you had before? Yeah, and I've been calling for a softish landing. Now I think I just have more conviction in that. They can, the fact that they can cut rates even sooner than our base case. Our base case was Q3 of, of next year uh, heading into yesterday. We've pushed that up to Q2. And that just makes the, 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 the runway even that much wider for the soft landing to happen. Do you think that financial conditions don't matter? Were you, were you uh, okay with how Chair Powell responded to that question yesterday? Yeah, he didn't, he didn't really talk about financial conditions that much. In November, he mentioned it 13 times. This was a, this was a, a big turnaround. Um, I think he's just not that scared at, with the way financial conditions have eased because inflation has come down notably. With the markets the way they are, futures up 12, I have been really, I've really failed at the core theme that I think that was somewhat alluded to by the chairman yesterday. We're going to go to Mike McKee here in a bit, folks, before we get to Christine Lagarde in Frankfurt. But Stephanie Roth, you're quite good at this, which is interpreting what I call a three-ratio productivity dynamic of capital, labor, and the pixie dust of American efficiency as well. What have you learned to reaffirm better productivity in the last 15 hours? Do they have a confidence that we're more efficient, a better run economy? We have seen productivity pick up in the last couple quarters. I don't know if we can bank on that continuing, but I think there's real scope for that. The economy has learned to operate with fewer workers than, than with what the pre-COVID trend would suggest. The standard idea is if you got 10 years, you know, we'll know in five years or whatever about productivity now, but are you guesstimating that we grossly underestimate not the capital dynamic, the labor dynamic? And, you know, Elisa Torsten Slack with that, that comment out today of more employed people in the middle of the age bracket in America but is it really about the technology overlay that we're completely underestimating even as we live it? I think there's an element of that, but I think the bigger story here is the labor supply. We've had such strong <clears throat> labor supply this year. That's helped to rebalance the labor market. It was a combination right. of immigration and, and female labor force participation. And Claudia Sam mentioned this yesterday with a Nobel laureate, Claudia Golden at Harvard, and that the women coming back into the labor force is jaw-dropping. If you are just joining us, just to repeat some of these numbers, because they are notable, I want to just take a look. Initial jobless claims came in yet again below the expectation. That is a good downward surprise, 202,000 versus the expectation of 220,000. Retail sales, month over month, the control group came in 0.4% versus the expectation for 0.2%, 0.6% versus 0.2% expected when you strip out autos and gas. Stephanie, do you get a sense that based Basically, the consumer is not cracking at all, that basically they still have money and that actual real wages going up will continue to fuel the spending spree that has underpinned a lot of the recovery. Yeah, I think the consumer is doing just fine. I mean, the one thing to highlight within the print is we did get some downward revision to the prior month. So like if you smooth through it, it's a little bit less strong than it seems. But yeah, the consumer seems fine. You're starting to see some delinquencies at the most vulnerable spots. But with rates coming down and conditions easing, maybe that's the maybe that's kind of the end of that. What would you have to see to start to really question the soft landing thesis? Where would the weakness come from? Do you see it anywhere on the horizon that you're watching in some of the incoming data? 
I think there's two things to watch out for. One, the labor market, is that going to crack? As long as the consumers are employed, they're going to keep spending. And then on, the, on some of these cracks that are forming within, within the consumer, that's just you know, keeping, keeping me looking quite closely. So some of the delinquencies at, at the lower end or uh, with the younger borrowers, buy now, pay later, that kind of thing that feels very late cycle to me. But overall, the consumer seems fine. What's your run rate, Q4 GDP? All of us got wrong third quarter. There was a third quarter quiet and we got this shock optimistic number. Are we going to redux that in the fourth quarter as well and get, say, 3% GDP, 2.8%? Those are pretty good numbers. Yeah, I think it's, it looks like it could be, could be tracking above 2%. Above 2 Come on, give me above 3 Can we get above 3%? I don't think so. You're going to have an inventory drag, so I, I don't think so. Okay, what about export-imports? We got the, you know, the pricing on export and imports today, but on trade, to me, the wild card next year is China. And, and to me, the great question is, is... Do we underestimate China once again? And the export-import dynamic of America adds to GDP. Is that possible? I think we, I think trade could be a bit of a boost next year. I don't think it'll be dramatically so. I think the thing to think there's two things to think about. One is, are we going to end up with cross-the-board import uh, tariffs in in 2025? Is that is that a real issue? Depending on how the the political cycle plays out. And then the second thing is, everybody's talking about reshoring, but there's not really that much signs of it yet. So we're not really imp- you know, we're still importing disinflation. It's not as mm-hmm. if we're all of a sudden manufacturing all of these goods here and that's going to create lots of in- goods inflation in the U.S. Who do you think is more right? The Fed projecting out three rate cuts next year or the market pricing out six rate cuts next year? The Fed. Unless we get a recession, which is not my base case. So in other words, that that seems the most likely, which is actually less than the market is currently expecting and less sort of disinflationary than people are pricing in. Yeah, but I think the one thing is the, the market's not pricing the Fed getting all the way down to somewhere around 25 to 3%, which is where I think the, the, the Fed will ultimately cut to. So that, that's where the, the rest of the, the market could sort of price to. We have to turn to Frankfurt. Thank you so much. Stephanie Roth with us. Just terrific summer here with Wolf Research Publishing and that we can get that research from uh, Wolf. Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, TuneIn, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash radio.